0: On this episode, overachievers and underperformers. Yes, we are back talking about 2020 because we have racing on the horizon. So let's take, a check out who's impressed us and who needs to do more. But first, as always, this is episode 60 of Positive Regression. This is the Boris said edition. David, we've got Boris. Who doesn't like that guy? He's tall. He's got a big afro. His name is Boris. Uh nothing like a normal, you know, NASCAR driver that you think of, none of those attributes. Uh Boris, always a nice guy when I've had to interview him and deal with him. I had to look it up, David. He raced for 20 consecutive years in the cup series, would make an appearance, but never did he do more than nine races in a season. And that tenure included a pole position at Daytona in a number sixty car.
1: Sponsored by Sobe No Fear Energy Drink, right? right. And he had, so he had a month. And, and he told folks to buy more cases so he can run more races. I think the owners of the car were the SEMO brothers, and they they might have had an ownership in the, the drink itself, if, if I'm not mistaken. So looking at his numbers, seven top ten finishes in 34 career Cup Series road course starts. That's pretty – good the the last of those came in 2010 and as you mentioned a long tenure in the cup series you raced until 2017 as a road course specialist alan i'm curious the 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 notion of the road course ringer did you like it? Did you not like it? What, what were your thoughts of these interlopers coming into cup series races? And there was the perception that they were good, yeah. but kind looking at the stats for the majority of them, that really wasn't the case.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the weird part. The road course ringer never really existed. I mean, they had skills, but in terms of performance or finishes, they were never in the equipment to actually get out there and win these races. Right. Uh So I think that the, just the perception and the concept of a ringer was, yes, you're immensely talented, but, you know, looking back on it, I, I did a few essays about this for uh, race hub and the results just weren't there now. I mean, was there influence felt of course, especially Boris said, uh, what he taught others, things you could learn from him, drivers trying to follow him around the track. And I think I remember him sometimes like ducking off into the pits because some were getting too close, you know, <laughs> and trying to get his secrets and all that stuff. So his influence was there. And, and and then it brought a lot of, a lot of other people, uh, Jan Magnussen, you know, all these other names that you could kind of associate with the Boris Seds of the world, but they, you know, they never had that success in terms of getting the win Ron fellows. I'm just thinking stuff now on the fly, uh, but it, it was certainly an era, right, uh, um, And that Boris said, I feel like, represented that whole thing and maybe the most successful out of all
1: of them. So I always enjoyed Tommy Kendall. Do you remember Tommy Kendall? Sure. He filled in for Kyle Petty in the Mellow Yellow Car, if I'm not mistaken. And Scott Pruitt, uh, I mean, one of the, the all-time sports car greats. He won IROC races but competed in the Cup Series as well. I enjoyed those guys coming in and competing. But – There was a moment that sort of shattered the illusion for me, and that was the 2004 Rolex 24 at Daytona when Tony Stewart and Dale Earnhardt Jr. shared a Daytona prototype and they dominated the race. They should have won it. The car broke down with like a half hour to go, and that was the moment that I can't Unsee because for years there was this thought that road course guys, sports car drivers, were the best at road course races, and uh, uh, NASCAR, regardless of its competitive strength, couldn't couldn't ever hang with those guys. We weren't producing the guys that could make right hand turns. But then here's Tony Stewart and Dale Jr. You know the two good old boys came down to Daytona in the biggest sports car race in America and schooled everybody. And it served as this crystallizing moment. Like, of course, NASCAR drivers are exceptional. Why wouldn't they be? And after that, I sort of approached these cup races on road courses that contained fewer and fewer ringers over the years, kind of just Ambivalent about the whole thing. Like I don't, I don't think we were missing much. Uh, at the very least, uh, to me, guys like Matt De Benedetto and Landon Castle, and and they were, they became the types of drivers that were substituted out for some of these ringers. I figured they were probably as good, if not better, on road courses than maybe you know, maybe a fifty-year-old Boris said at that time. So that was kind of where I stood, is like maybe at one time. This was a thing, but after a while, it just kind of came to the surface. The cup series guys are really good at this and I, I really hate to take them out of their own seat for someone that's going to get a, you know, a similar result, but just maybe look better doing it.
0: Yeah, and that's why, I mean, that's why we saw Boris said once or twice a year. Uh, he had his fans, the said heads. <laughs> I remember seeing afros and everything. Uh, he certainly, you know, made a mark in terms of his name, in terms of his personality. Uh, David, I don't know if you remember, but 2011 in Watkins Glen, uh, in wrestling terms, he cut an amazing promo on Greg Biffle. Basically calling him chicken, saying he was going to show up at his house if he could just get his address. He was basically asking everybody for Greg Piffle's address so he could show up at his house on a Wednesday and beat him up. I mean, it's one of the best interviews I've ever seen after a race. And, uh, you know, little things like that just really make me uh, uh, that's what I remember about Boris said.
1: Yeah, we missed out on NASCAR's, uh, stone cold Brian Pillman moment, apparently. Thanks. Courtesy of, of Boris Ed. He was a character. Uh, yeah. I'll admit that I fully, I fully tried that Sobe No Fear Gold drink, uh, before we knew that taurine might cause some damage. Uh, I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's right. Mid-2000s. Yeah, that was about par for the course then. Um, but yeah, I think Boris Ed now invariably synonymous. With the term uh, Road Course Ringer. Yeah. Boris said we salute you. Episode 60 of Positive Regression.
0: All right, let's get it started, David. We have racing on the schedule. Uh, the cars will be back on the track May 17th at Darlington. Uh, we, we've, I think we've done well the last few weeks, you know, talking, you know, putting out a podcast and coming up with some good stuff to talk about, but let's get back to it. Let's talk about 2020 once again. We are four races into the cup season. Xfinity cars have uh, races under their belt. So let, let's look at what we know now after the four races. Uh, you and I both, uh, you gave me some homework. We, we picked out two drivers each, two drivers that were kind of what I guess we'll call it overachieving or maybe pleasantly surprising after four races and two drivers or crew chiefs or teams, what have you that have underperformed for the first four races and see where we go from here. So let's see how much four races can tell us. I will let you start. We'll start with the good David. Uh, who, who's your first choice? Who do you want to talk about?
1: I want to talk about Chris Busher, uh, the newest driver at Roush Fenway Racing. I know a lot has been going on with Roush Fenway between Ryan Newman's injury, Ross Chastain coming in to uh, substitute in the number six car, but, uh, all along, uh, just through four races, Chris Busher kind of doing his thing. Uh, this number 17 team was completely rebuilt over the offseason, in the guise of what Ryan Newman and Scott Graves accomplished in 2019, that stage point-fueled march to the playoffs. And if you think about it, it's an interesting ploy. It's sort of, it's Roush Family Racing saying, let's do what worked well last year, but double the effort, and... Busher is an interesting candidate for this because he was among the five best restarters from the non-preferred groove last year. Uh, he told me during speed weeks about his willingness to accept a point-based pit strategy. That was a big deal when he was at JTG Doherty Racing and working with Trent Owens. It's a bigger deal at Roush where he'll potentially be rewarded with a playoff spot and teamed now with Luke Lambert, who has made some interesting pit strategy calls in the past. And certainly that record tends to precede him through four races. Chris Busher ranked seventh in average finish and sits 14th in points. The restart numbers up those pit strategy numbers up. They're kind of quietly doing everything that they need to, To be doing everything, every reason that this team was assembled is sort of coming to the surface. And if this holds steady, it's going to be difficult because they're, they're going to have that same speed disparity that they had last year. It's going to be a little bit tough, right? But look, this is, this is the start that they were hoping for. And amid all the, all the, all the chatter about Roush Fenway, all the concern for Ryan Newman's recovery, um, Chris Buescher has quietly been working on leading them to the playoffs.
0: All right. That's the first one. Good start over at Roush Fenway. I, I, you know, it's been so long, David. And then you think of all the stuff that obviously went on with Ryan Newman. You almost forget that Chris Buescher is, uh, is starting anew and he's yeah. doing it quietly and doing it well. So good for him. Let's see if you can keep it up, Chris Buescher. All right. My first pick, David, was, uh, Bubba Wallace. Uh, just looking at the stats. This may just be about average finish alone. But after those first four races, Bubba Wallace has an average finish of 16.8. And when you look at last year as a season, his average finish was 23.9. That's seven positions. That's really good. So you have to give credit where it's due. That's great improvement, at least early. Uh, What's interesting to me is that last year... Wallace had one of the best crew chiefs in terms of delivering positions. Uh, Derek Stamets delivered more positions, I believe, than anybody – in the series uh, during green flag pit cycles. I think the jury is still out with his new crew chief, Jerry Baxter, but they have a good relationship. They have in the past and it's something seems to be working over there in the 43, uh, good average finish after four races. So giving him credit. Uh, he had a really good finish in Phoenix. Remember if you remember, you know, how that finished and everything uh, a few restarts at the end and bubble Wallace, you know, stuck it in there and was there. So that's helping that average finish. I think he finished six uh, uh, down in Phoenix, but look, compared to where he, was What what he was doing last season and what he's doing in the first four races this year, things are going well for the 43 car.
1: You know, ironic, just from a sheer positional standpoint, our first two picks are, are the top two uh, closers, if you will. Bubba Wallace has gained 7.8 positions in the final uh, one-tenth of each race through the first four races. Uh, Chris Busher ranks second, 6.5 positions in that regard. But I think he made an interesting call with Bubba. Uh, and and I saw him while I was in Daytona be interviewed and he, this is, this is kind of a situation where his actions speak louder than his words. And he, he is often asked a lot about the dire financial situation, Richard Petty Motorsports, and he's been pretty upfront about it. Uh, he's had to answer for that. He's had to answer for poor performance. And those answers, uh, recently have become pretty blunt, as probably you'd expect if you have to continue answering these kinds of questions. But he perked up. I asked him about the relationship with Jerry Baxter and he made it a point to say it, it was me. I, I called him, uh, and, and got him to come over here to this 43 team. So Bubba is, is trying as, as much as he can to carry this team on his back. I mean, he is, he made a move for Jerry Baxter, which he thinks is going to help them improve. And so far that proof is in the pudding. But in addition to that, when he's able, he's going out and taking this car that averages a a 26 place central speed ranking to far better results than it probably deserves. And here's something to consider. He's not up uh, this year. His contract is not up, but given the financial situation at RPM and knowing that sometimes drivers have out clauses in their contracts, if teams can't come up with sufficient sponsorship, the driver is in the free and clear. Bubba has something to gain with good performance this year. There are plenty of marquee rides available. If he can prove his worth or at least improve his lot within the sport. Somebody might come knocking and it's entirely plausible that he could be available. So. I think just everything associated with it, I think it's, it is all on the up and up because I think the motivation is there to do well. And it's, it's far more in action than what he says in words, because if you listen to his words, he's pretty down about performance, but on the racetrack, it seems to be trending in the right direction.
0: And part of, I mean, all these guys we're going to talk about, both good and bad. We, we're we're talking. We're basing this on four races. We're going to have another four races in about eight days, or you know, some something, something crazy. I, I didn't do the math right on that, but we're going to have four races real quick to to see if this is extending or not, right? Or to see if this is can keep going this momentum under odd circumstances. So it's going to be interesting to see if guys like Baba can keep it up.
1: Yeah, uh, for sure. And if they do, I mean, that's a. That's a great sign, um, for that race team. I think NASCAR is better with more competitive teams, uh, vying for playoff spots. And I think Richard Petty Motorsports being in that mix would be very good. I think that's a tall ask right now. I don't know how realistic that is, but we're going to learn more in very short order.
0: Yeah. Who's next up on your list? Who's, uh, wh- wh- whether you want to call it overachieving or who's uh, caught your eye
1: after four races? Yeah. You know, I'm going to go crew chief and I am going to say new Joe Gibbs racing crew chief, James small. Now folks are probably listening. Uh, they, they might have some questions and I will admit there is a 24.5 place average finish attached to the number 19 team at JGR with Martin Truex. The first four races were a disaster in that regard, um, but James Small, rookie crew chief, with 36 positions gained during green flag pit cycles, and that pisses me off because he's on your crew chief team in our in our competition. <laughs> James Small is tied for the most spots earned. He's tied with uh, Seth Barber on behalf of John Hunter Nemechek, and his stops have come from all over the place. Uh While leading, they've retained position. While attempting to overcome a track position deficit at Las Vegas, he jumped Truex from 21st to 3rd. Uh So some versatility in his pit calls. They have the sixth fastest car right now in the series, and that is the fastest among Joe Gibbs Racing's quartet, of cars, and I, I am foreshadowing something here. Yeah. But ultimately, James Small does not want to be in a position where he has to focus on getting his driver big gains. Uh, I wrote a couple of weeks ago uh, for The Athletic that their average running position when pitting under green is like four positions off of where it was last year. Uh, and that doesn't sound like much, but the weighted expectation changes for retention and position gains, and they want to be higher up in the order. Um, now, that is a known that needs to improve. But from where I sit, it's really good to see that James Small is the kind of crew chief capable of maximizing wherever he is in the field, maximizing the opportunity right in front of him.
0: Now, you mentioned when you dig, you find the good, if you will, right? I mean, there's a lot of positives there. But you also mentioned the average finish, which, you know, the the greater general public may not do the digging, right? And they may start wondering, oh, what's going on with the 19 team? Is James Small anywhere near as good as Cole Pern? Is he, you know, cracking under the pressure? Can he handle this job? Uh, Any worries there, do you think? I mean, I know you're not the type to measure that, but I do wonder what the perception may be if the finishes aren't there despite, you know, some deeper metric performance.
1: So I talked to Martin Truex this week about uh James Small uh just kind of for an, for an upcoming article that I'm working on and Martin said look he he thought from the get-go from the hiring this was this was the guy like this was really the only guy that he thought could come in and fill this role and so far, where they've lacked is execution. Uh, Pit Road has been uh, a trouble spot uh, just in terms of the over-the-wall crew um, and things of that nature. But the performance, if you want to see it, the the in-between between green flag and, and either a yellow or a checkered has been very good. And if that's what you're going to focus on and that's the evaluation that you're going to make... Then I can make an argument that this particular JGR team might be the best of the lot. Wow. And it, it's, you know, can we expect James Small to go out and win six to seven races as a rookie crew chief? History tells us that isn't likely, but we might, we might see more than a few wins. From this team and the direction it's heading in, I feel pretty good. And given the tracks that are coming up on this up on the schedule, Darlington and Charlotte, yeah. trucks are pretty good there. Uh, so if if this is largely the the same team absent Cole Pern, I feel pretty good about this initial slate of races. For them. And I think that they, they're, they're just, they, they are talent ready to, to burst out. I think there's the cream will rise to the top.
0: All right. Good stuff there. Next up on my list, uh, David, I'm starting at the top over on the Xfinity series. Uh, Harrison Burton. Uh, so certainly it's not, you know, quiet that what he's doing over there because he's doing so damn well, but look, he's been awesome. And again, credit where it's due. Four races, David finishes of second, fifth, first and second. Pretty damn good for a rookie. Uh, especially a rookie who came in with maybe some questionable expectations, right, after a rough stretch in the truck series. I looked up your numbers on Motorsports Analytics. Uh, he had a production—he was 15th in production in the truck series last year, and now he comes out in gangbusters in the Xfinity series car. I'll let you weigh in on that, but, uh, but to throw him in the best, best Xfinity car for Joe Gibbs Racing in that 20 car, that comes with a lot of expectations. Certainly, you should be doing good things— with that car, with the team, and its history, and he is. So I got to give credit there. I, I don't know if I expected this out of him. Certainly you would expect some performance out of that 20 team and what he's given and what's underneath him. But to have all these good finishes to start off the season, I don't know if I expected this.
1: Yeah, and I think Joe Gibbs Racing as a whole. I mean, if you consider the driver roster, Harrison Burton, at least in terms of my top 50, I I ranked him higher than than the other two, Brandon Jones and Riley Herbst. But this is, at least on the national level, a largely unaccomplished bunch. And the odds are, if you consider the success Joe Gibbs Racing has had in the Xfinity series, someone is going to benefit. Right. (laughs) And, and, and right now that, that seems to be Harrison Burton. And I think what he's done particularly well, or at least what I've noticed from him in the three races on the, uh, the non-drafting tracks, he isn't trying to overdrive a car that doesn't need to be overdriven. And, and sometimes when you get, And equipment like that, maybe it's just best to be more textbook, more, I don't want to say simple, but maybe don't get in your own way, right? Like it's um, what Michael Scott told Dwight Schrute, keep it simple, stupid, hurts his feelings every time. Um, that That's kind of the situation that Harrison Burton is going to find himself in because the JGR Xfinity program is so good that it's like clockwork. And you you really just have to hit your marks in order to make the best of that situation. Now, eventually, he'll probably kind of grow his identity as a driver and put his own spin on his performances in those cars. And his performances won't look like what Christopher Bell did in the 20 car or what Eric Jones did in the 20 car. But for right now, I think not getting in over his head has suited him very well.
0: Yeah, great start for the young driver and uh Stephen keep it up, you know. He's uh, got the momentum on his side and certainly the best team uh, over in the Xfinity series. David, let's look now at the uh the other side of this. Uh we just talked about the the overachievers or the, the ones we are pleasantly surprised with. Then there's the other side, the ones that maybe we should be wondering
1: or questioning or worried about uh after four races. Uh who is your first choice? I'm going to question the entire Xfinity series oh <laughs> right now I'm just going to be that not Harrison right I'm just going to be that well no cuz ride with me on this one um 3 of the 4 race winners this season were first time Xfinity series race winners and that's odd and probably the result of very few cup drivers in the field and the three drivers who won all the races last year have graduated out of the division. And that means that there is transition and there are a lot of wins on the table. There will be what we call surface level stats. And that is the wins, top fives, top tens. Those are stats that will be padded When there isn't stiffer competition taking, you know, a third of the wins, basically, for that's, that's what we saw from Custer, Reddick, and Bell last year. And, and that, that will happen, but we're going to have to adjust our evaluation. So I, for one, am going to play the long game on this year's Xfinity series. I'm just, I'm just going to wait everything out, see what becomes believable. Uh, Brandon Jones beating Kyle Bush mano a mano at Phoenix. Look, I saw it happen. It happened. I can't argue with it. But whether it's normal is certainly debatable. So instead of rushing to make what eventually could become a bad evaluation or just as some, some kind of knee-jerk reaction, I'm going to sit back and take a 30,000-foot view of All of this, because the best talent left the series, this happens in every sport. You know, college basketball can be filled with NBA prospects. They all leave, and then you don't know what the landscape looks like. Same here. It's no different. It's no knock on the current talent. It's just that things have changed, and what we have seen so far in the small samples might not suffice as the new reality. So I think we should just kind of take a step back. Wait for things to play out and comprehend what that new reality is.
0: Yeah, and just looking at the point standings, you know, going up and down the, through the top 12, you think of the playoffs and all that stuff, uh, it, it, it's a bit shallow, right? They're just, you don't see much of a fight for that final playoff spot or, you know, even if they'd be in. Somewhat contention when you get down that far. Right now it's between Brandon Brown and Alex LeBay. Uh, you know, you don't expect them competing with the, the Harrison Burtons and Chase Briscoes of the world. Uh, so, so the depth, you know, not like we see over in the cup series. So, and again, like you said, when you remove the top four, three, four drivers, uh, from the season before that, that, that's going to happen. So, uh, I, I see your point there. So we'll see where it goes. We're only four races in David. We'll give the Xfinity series a chance. Don't be, don't be mean. No.
1: <laughs> uh you, you know what I was oh so the the race in Daytona the Xfinity series opener it was Chase Briscoe initially just kind of caught my eye and I was kind of just lulled into watching what he was doing on the track and um I must say he was able to put his car absolutely anywhere he wanted in that race I mean he really looked like a, a good Drafter, and I was kind of just racking my brain, thinking like, has has Chase Briscoe always been a good drafter? Because I can't recall it. And then you know, you, you slowly you look up, and Jeb Burton is leading, and then Noah Gragson is contending for a win, and then it just kind of clicks, like, oh, oh, everybody left. This that <laughs> that that, that explains that explains this. That that kind of makes a little bit more sense now to Briscoe's. Reddit, he did say that he spent time uh, with Dylan Hart Jr. learning some drafting tricks. So maybe maybe that played a, a factor. But it but it is kind of that. Like the the gut reaction is like, wow, these these are new kids. Are they are they good? Are they only succeeding because all the talent left? And the answer is probably just going to be somewhere in the middle. And that's why I'm saying let's let's just take a step back and and understand what what is our new reality for this series because right now i I don't know that I have a firm grasp on it whatsoever all right we'll give it some time
0: we'll give it some time uh for my, my for my first one I'm going back over to the cup series and one of those rookies that left the Xfinity series uh David so much attention on this year's rookie class over on the cup side headlined by Christopher Bell I think you could say especially with his jGr affiliation but David look at the stats after four races his best finish is 21st at Daytona and that is a race where he crashed so that's not good. <laughs> An engine issue in Fontana, that that didn't help things. He finished 38th there. But, but the larger point I, I was looking at when, you know, I don't want to crap on Christopher Bell. You know, I, I think it should be hard for rookies. I, I expect them to struggle. But the larger point, because we've discussed Christopher Bell before, you specifically, David, have discussed him before. What does this mean for him? Uh, if you have been listening, a longtime listener, been paying attention, uh, you've pointed out, David, his two potential weaknesses are that he crashes too much or that he's always been in great equipment. And we don't know what kind of driver Christopher Bell will be, you know, in the mid pack or in the back of the pack. And I don't know if this four first four races is a reflection of that reality coming true or if we just don't know yet. But the two things I remember you bringing up you bringing up about him, uh I'm certainly wondering about them now after four races in a struggle to the start of the season.
1: Yeah, I think there's always going to be some kind of Competitive shock because he didn't make a single cup series start before this year's Daytona 500. There were, there were no one-off, uh, starts to be had for him. So he's, he's never experienced anything like this. He's never seen restarts with drivers of this caliber. He's never been. An equipment that I recall that was this bad relative to the rest of the field. Uh, if you consider his time in USAC, he drove for Keith Coons. They brought heat to the racetrack. He, in late models, Kyle Busch Motorsports, Truck Series, Kyle Busch Motorsports, Xfinity Series, Joe Gibbs Racing. He had the class equipment in, you know, at every uh, step up the ladder, on every rung. Uh, he had everything he could ever ask for. And right now, he doesn't. Um, and, and part of that is Levine Family Racing is this small team trying to make a really big leap, but they're also trying to make this big leap <laughs> designing cars around a rookie. So this situation kind of doesn't feel like it's going to go completely well. And right now, the last two races, Fontana and Phoenix, he was a bit flummoxed. In traffic, just trying to pass uh, a, a surplus value of 3% at Fontana, 2.9% at Phoenix. All in, he lost a surplus of 16 positions, and this is the driver who was a standout uh, passer in terms of pass efficiency in the Xfinity series. Um, it's a different world. Certainly, and I think this is something that we could have expected. There's probably a little bit of small sample size and Daytona bias involved, but should we be surprised that this particular rookie is struggling in this regard? No, and, and this might be something that just takes some time to iron out. Uh, he's clearly a, a talent, a raw talent, if that, um, but again, never underestimate the, the difficulty of the Cup Series because there's just nothing like it uh, that these young drivers have ever seen on their way up.
0: And you're also going to be faced with the burden of expectation and comparison because this is a a hell of a rookie class. So every time you finish bad, the first thing we're going to do is be like, oh, we're Cole Custer finish, right? You know, How good did he do? Or if you're in good JGR-affiliated equipment, you're also going to compare that to what John Hunter Nemechek's doing in his uh you know arguably lesser equipment, obviously, and uh overachieving over in his in his car. So uh comparison and expectation, I don't think, are are friends of rookies.
1: I think that's fair. And in and this is just kind of where we have to throw expectations out. I've I don't ever really expect much from rookies. I I used to say all rookies are are pretty just terrible um uh, because i mean you can't you can't rely on on them just how they're going to react to uh a much more difficult series you, you you can't, you can't trust them in those situations because they've never been there, right? Yeah, no, like, no, you, no and I agree. Really you know, sh-
0: shades of Chris Rock, you know, it's supposed to be hard, right? You know, the, the cup series is supposed to be hard. You are supposed to struggle as a rookie. So if you went out there and, and just dominated, I'd be, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think much of the rest of the series if it was suddenly very easy for a rookie. So, you know, we'll get, we'll give these rookies some time, but you know, something we got to discuss. David, who's next on your list?
1: Okay, my uh, – yeah, this will be my final pick. Uh, I'm going to say the rest of Joe Gibbs Racing outside of uh, Martin Truex's 19 team. This organization won the championship in 2019, and, and in doing so, they set something of a modern-day record for wins in a season and uh, comprised three of the top four spots – in the Central Speed rankings. Well, this year, and Daytona is omitted here, JGR's four cars rank sixths, and that's Truex, eighth, 14th, and 18th in Central Speed. What is happening here? Uh, if we omit Denny Hamlin's Daytona 500 win, which... Was brilliant, but not at all transferable to the majority of the schedule. There isn't much to show here. Uh, now Kyle Busch finished second at Fontana and third at Phoenix, but those weren't Kyle Busch signature performances. I would say the car ranked fifth and sixth in speed for those races and he didn't lead a single lap. Now, Maybe this is all due to the small sample size. Maybe they had 12 opportunities to turn in one lights-out performance, uh, commensurate with what you'd think of Joe Gibbs Racing, and they just happened to whiff on all 12. That might be what this is. But the beauty in Darlington and Charlotte hosting these next four races is that the truth will come to the surface, All of JGR's drivers have a Cup Series win at Darlington. Bush and Truex won each of the last three Oval races at Charlotte. And if JGR as an organization, is if they are again out to lunch for the most part, given what their drivers have accomplished, that is something that the organization is going to have to reckon with and potentially a real sign of trouble.
0: All right. Let's see what JGR can do. You know, I didn't expect to be discussing the potential of uh JGR not doing so well after four races. But, you know, it is what it is in terms of what the numbers say. But then you bring up Darlington and Charlotte. And uh I, I remember, you know. Martin Truex Jr. putting everyone to sleep at a Coke 600 not long ago. So uh, the potential is there, as we know. I think that's what's so interesting about the sample size that we have, you know, over, and we've just been waiting so long to get back to racing and then the sample size, how it'll grow and change in the matter of weeks. It'll, it, it's just going to be our perception of it. I wonder, uh, we'll have to revisit all this. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And I mean, if you just look at the, the speed rankings in general right now, Hendrick Speed, I mean, from where we sit, we believe it's believable, right? Um, Stuart Haas and Team Penske are arguably as fast as they were last year. They are contending for wins regularly, and that's probably as much as you can ask. But curiously missing from the, the front of that pack is Joe Gibbs Racing, and we know they're capable. It's all the same people involved making it happen. Um, I'm curious if they really did slip over the course of the off season, or maybe the competition caught up and surpassed them. Uh, I don't know. But what I do know is that these two particular tracks that we're going to run, I think they're, what are we doing in four races in a span of 72 hours or something? I don't know. It feels crazy.
0: But Not quite, but we're, yes. we're,
1: <laughs> we're going to know very quickly whether what we saw from them through those first three oval track races. We're gonna know whether that's that's real. If we we should have said, hmm, that that doesn't look great. Or um, you know, if they just come out and they kind of just don't perform, then I think bigger questions are gonna have to be raised.
0: Good stuff. All right, last up, uh it's a big one, David. I picked Chad Johnston, crew chief for the 42. Now, David, Ooh. you talked last week about the challenge ahead for the 42 team. New driver, Matt Kenseth. We know his credential, Hall of Fame driver. But you talked about last, on last week's episode, that his production at age 48, it will be limited, putting the onus really on the team, uh, to, you know, produce fast cars and produce track position if needed, uh, you know, picking up where Matt Kenseth may not be able to provide, especially right away or just over the course uh, of a season, again, at age 48. Well, David, I looked up your numbers, again, on Motorsports Analytics for the first four races, and what did I find? Chad Johnston is not off to a good start in terms of strategizing, in terms of positions gained or lost during green flag pit cycles. Johnston ranks last in those positions during green flag pit cycles. He hasn't gained any. Negative 41 positions. He's also near the bottom in position retention. Uh, that will need to improve, David, especially with a new scenario of a new driver of Matt Kenseth. and If, as you said last week, the the onus will be on the team, uh, the team's going to have to pick itself up a little bit.
1: Oh, sure. If you don't know what you're going to expect from an older version of Matt Kenseth, then this is sort of the thing that is within your control. And no, right now it hasn't been great. Chad Johnston, uh, those 41 positions lost... It's, it's through a small sample, but consider that they had three pit cycles in which they lost at least two spots and two pit cycles in which they lost more than five spots. And that is something that can just kill your race dead, man. That is, those are, those are brutal losses in the heat of battle. And that's the kind of mistake that That just isn't going to be able to happen, especially when they have Matt Kenseth. They don't know what they're going to get from him. Kenseth probably doesn't know what he's going to get out of this car. He's never driven with this rules package before. So when a lot of questions like that exist, this, the pit strategy, is the thing that you're supposed to fall back on or have uh, some kind of plan uh, built around but yeah, this was pretty shaky uh, so far, and I warned on last week's episode that Chad Johnson kind of coasted a little bit at times um, behind the, the previous driver's ability to just dig them out of any track position hole, and I certainly don't think that that's going to be available to them anymore. So it's Don Johnson and I, and I've, and I've said before, he's one of the more underrated strategists. If you include the last four or five years, he, he is good at this. He can do this. It's just that he's sort of gotten out of that habit. He's going to have to look like a completely different crew chief for the remainder of the season than he was in these first four races in order for this new look 42 team to work.
0: Yeah, and certainly, look, the 42 team, for obvious reasons, the biggest story of this break, but um, but just looking forward, the logistics of it, I said it on Race Hub this week, Matt Kenseth quite literally has to go from zero to 180 real quick. No practice, no qualifying. And you're jumping in the car after more than a year out of it. How long does it take him to get up to speed, Uh, you know, literally and figuratively in terms, is it one, you know, one green flag pit cycle? Is it one race? Is it two race? Is it four race? These four quick first quick races before he gets to settle in and figure this out? Uh th- That's a huge variable and question. And then you have to bring in the team side of it, this, the strategizing side of it. I, I don't know. It, it, to me, it's impossible to predict where this is going to go.
1: Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) I think (laughs) if, you know, there are going to be those kinds of questions at the, I mean, it's really going to all fall on Matt Kenseth, at least initially, right? Because it's, look, he's, he's returning to NASCAR after seemingly, uh, I don't know, retiring, not of his own volition, but I I don't, I don't know that this team's success is going to be on Kenseth's shoulders. I, I, I think you are right in homing in on Chad Johnston, I think what they accomplish and they're playoff eligible, what they accomplish for the remainder of the 2020 season is likely going to depend on how Chad Johnston comes to grips with this driver, because this team wasn't particularly fast. They ranked 15th in central speed before the stoppage. So all wasn't exactly perfect. And now he's going to have to find speed out of a driver that hasn't ever experienced this before. So he's got a pretty significant challenge ahead of him.
0: Yes, he does. That'll be a major storyline going forward when we get back on track at Darlington on May 17th. So there you have it. Too good, too bad from both of us. Uh, A lot to look forward to. Uh, So. Yeah, I'm glad we talked about this. I'm glad we just have racing to talk about again. The 2020 season to look back on and to look forward to. So, uh, good episode, David. Don't forget, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and Luminary. We're available no matter your device. If you like what you're hearing, and we know you do... Please leave us a rating or a review. This stuff really does help in spreading the word, making this podcast bigger. Tell your friends, uh, you know, tell them what you like about it. It it really does help us. If you have a question, send it to us on Twitter at POSREGPOD, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, you're always working hard. You got a lot of good stuff coming up. Uh, Tell us about it.
1: So uh, this week for The Athletic, I mentioned it earlier, interviewed Martin Truex this week. I also interviewed Cole Pern, and that is right. It is the third and what? final installment of my leap year series, all about 2016. Where so did you find him? Tell us about racing? <laughs> yeah, he's out. He's, he is hang chilling in uh, British Columbia. He is homeschooling his kids like a fool, man. And he's, uh, <laughs> I, I gotta tell you it sounds sounds like he's uh he's digging life uh, right now but but he was happy to talk to me about uh something really special than they when they went from good to great at furniture row racing really insightful stuff um so check that out filled with fascinating info and keep watch of my twitter account at david there will be some news on Friday morning and some news on Monday morning. Uh, things are happening. All of you should be interested, so stay tuned.
0: Good stuff. Looking forward to that. And I hope you're still watching Race Hub. Check out my Twitter feed if you missed anything on there because I was reporting this week about uh, the shops opening back up. Look, North Carolina has uh, opened back up in its, its, its various phases, but uh, teams are back. In a way, I did reports about Team Hendrick and uh, Chip Ganassi Racing, actually how they're opening up, how they're proceeding forward with all the safety um, regulations and everything, who's at the shop, who is not, what they're doing to prepare for Darlington. So check out my Twitter feed for those two reports because uh, it's a different world they've come back to. So uh, check out that race hub every night, 6 p.m. on FS1, Monday through Thursday. And uh, I look forward to uh, seeing real racing back on fox on the fox family so just keep it on fox all weekend uh coming up because there's plenty of good nascar content on there appreciate you watching and we appreciate you listening of course this is positive regression episode 60 for david smith i'm alan kavanagh have a great week everybody